0: Let me first start off by welcoming our faith family. It's really great to be able to gather together again around God's Word in these uh, ways that we're limited by for this for this meantime. I just want to start out before we jump into God's Word by thanking everyone who has been supporting uh, this church, supporting this ministry, the various ways in which God's people have been the church outside of the walls of the church. and. All of the ways in which we have heard and it has gotten back to us. You have been praying for me and for us. And those who have been playing leadership roles, we're thankful for you. And I also want you to know how much we have been praying for you and have kept you always in remembrance and trusting together with you that God has been and will continue to be faithful. And God will show himself uh, to be good in all of our lives. And I'm trusting together with you that he's going to take us out of this season to what will be our, our new normal. And until then, let's, let's just continue to hold one another in remembrance um, as we are limited and constrained by being sheltered in, in place. With that being said, I hope you have a Bible lying around. I would ask you and invite you to turn together with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke and chapter 10 is where we'll be, and we're going to start off um, with our reading from verse 38, Luke chapter 10 and verse 38, and I'll like to begin us there, where Luke says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet." and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, it's probably in that way too. Lord, maybe with a hand on the hip, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her now, then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Speaking of Martha, 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 you are anxious. And troubled about many things. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that good portion which will not be taken away from her. Let's just pray briefly before we jump into this message. Father, we come before you, humbled by your grace, thankful to you, Lord, for your presence in our lives. God, as we approach your word, we ask for your blessing. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and help us to be able to, as the psalmist put it, behold wonderful things out of your law. God, we're delighted and thankful for this time that you've given us. May we all find ourselves helped and greatly enriched through this time that we spend together around your word. We thank you and we bless you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It was in his book, First Things First, where Stephen Covey had a case study in the book that pitched a question to its participants. And the question went something like this. If there was one thing that you could change or do or implement that you could do superbly well, And consistently, at the same time, that would have, make a significant impact and a positive difference in your personal life, what would it be? That was the question. And then once the participants uh, went on to answer the question, um, the case study went on to apply it to their professional life as well. And then it went on to talk about, well, why, why is it that we don't do these things if we're so convinced that it would have this much of a positive impact, albeit on our personal life or our, our professional life? I wanted to take that anecdote and um, take that story and apply it to our spiritual lives. Because I think that's what Jesus and God himself in the writing of this particular story, this event with Jesus and his friends is trying to get at. And so if there was, if I could ask you, if there was one thing that you could do superbly well and consistently that you believe would make a positive impact, a positive difference on your walk with the Lord, what would it be? I think if Jesus was answering that question, it would be intimate time with the Lord and with his word. I think if COVID-19 is teaching us anything, it's, it's that. The title of my message is First Things First. It's First Things First. I believe it was Augustine, the early church father, who's, who has a prayer that was recorded and often quoted till this very day that goes something like this. Lord, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You see, if, if we're going to get anything out of this portion of Scripture in Luke's account of the gospel, it's, it's that. That we were made for Him. And we could learn this the hard way, or we could learn this the easy way. And we got a case study before us. We have two individuals who are responding to God and to His Christ in two polar opposite ways. And I think Jesus through Luke, introduces this story to us, not just to sit back and frown upon one over against the other, but to ask ourselves the hard question, who am I in this story? Do I resonate and find myself falling far more aligned with Mary? Or do I find myself resonating with with Martha? Am I more Mary-like or I'm, Or am I more Martha? Or is there a third party in this story? I don't know. You have to stay tuned to the rest of this message to find out. Needless to say, why don't we jump in uh, to this story? The text opens up by saying in verse 38, "Now, now." I find it interesting if we were to look at the context of this particular scenario with Jesus being invited over to this house, of the parable that precedes this story. Um, Before we have this story or this account, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is all about works, right? It's all about the second of the two great commandments. Yes, there's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but there's also what? Love your neighbor, right, as yourself. And the whole story of the parable of the good Samaritan is about laying emphasis upon loving our neighbor, upon works, upon being a good citizen, upon being a good neighbor, and making sure that in all of our worship of God that we don't lose track and lose sight of the people that are clearly in need all around us. And so, the parable of the good Samaritan has everything to do with that, more so our works. But the story of Jesus and his encounter through the invitation of Martha and Mary to their house has less to do with works and has more to do with worship. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a lawyer who challenges Jesus, almost safe to say who puts him to the test, right? But in the story of Jesus and Martha and Mary, it's less about Jesus being challenged and being caught, so to speak, with his words, and it's more about two individuals who, out of love for their best friend, invite Jesus over to their house, right? And I think what you're going to discover and what we're going to discover before this message is done is that we got those two camps a lot of times in our community or in our world or in the church, right? We have those who are busy being with Jesus, and we have those who are, we need to we need to stop being about, you know, being in the church. We need to stop being about just with Jesus and our Bibles and our Devo time, and we need to be out there doing something for a change. Come on, we're the church after all, aren't we? And so we have the people who are all about gathering, if you will, and then we got the people who are all about scattering, if you will. And that's. Why I believe God in his providence, allowing Luke to write this account of the gospel, juxtaposes, that is, sets side by side the story of the Good Samaritan and the story of Jesus being invited to Martha and Mary's house. To let us know, it's not about either or, rather, it's about what? It's both and. Which is it? Is it the worship of God or is it the loving and the being there for my my neighbor? Yes, is the answer. Yes, it's both in other words, right? And I think just like Jesus wouldn't allow people to pit him in one camp over against the other, I think you should also make sure that you don't allow people to pit you in one camp or the other. And we're going to see how we can make sure that that doesn't happen. But suffice that to say, turn, look with me at verse 38. The text reads, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, And he could be with his disciples, that's what he's referring to by they. Jesus goes into the village and a woman named Martha, so the text identifies her, welcomed him into her house. In this particular day and age, uh, hospitality was a big deal, right? We may enjoy our Starbucks, right? We think that we're getting community out of our Starbucks, but I don't know about you, but a lot of times i go to Starbucks so that people won't bother me, right? Right? But in their day and age, they can teach us a thing or two about hospitality. And they didn't have a Starbucks to go to, a third location. It was the home that served as that that place of meeting, that place of of gathering where you can serve other people. And here they invite Jesus. uh, Martha invites Jesus into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who, verse 39, sat at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. Now, I don't want you to miss something here. And I think sometimes when we read the Bible too quickly, we miss out on things that I believe God is trying to hint at for our consideration. What am I getting at? It's a woman who's sitting at Jesus's feet. Well, what's so significant about that? Well, you have to understand that rabbis in Jesus's day were not particularly fond of allowing women or inviting women to be able to participate um, where teaching took place, where theological training took place. I mean, there's no better seminary professor than Jesus himself. I mean, if you wish you could be able to enroll in any seminary that we got in our world right now, the one seminary you would want to be in, it's Jesus's. And here Jesus is able to offer teaching. Accredited uh, D1 teaching, and guess who gets to be enrolled and a part of it? Mary, a woman. So what's Jesus communicating by not discouraging her and allowing her to be a part of that? He's elevating. He's communicating how he dignity to these women. I hope that encourages somebody. He's he's trying to say, look, I know the sort of cultural markers, and I know what may be going on that still needs redemption in the culture, but Jesus is somebody where necessary. He was prepared to cut against the grain of culture, right? Jesus wasn't PC. He wasn't politically correct. I think sometimes people say, how come Jesus never spoke on this? Well, he did. Just pay attention. How come Jesus never said anything about this? How come Jesus never did anything about this? Well, I think he did. Um, it was the women who supported his ministry financially, the wealthy women. It was the women who visited his tomb that needed um, visiting so that they could bomb him and pay respect and honor to his tomb site. It was the women who learned of the fact that he had resurrected. It was the women who, who brought the news and the report. And here, it's a woman who's sitting at Jesus' feet, the same woman who, in every other account that we have, Mary of Bethany, where she is in the presence of Jesus, who's always at his feet. Interestingly, in John 11, with the news of Lazarus's death, when Jesus arrives and she says, look, if you had only been here earlier, but before she says that, what does she do? The text tells us in, in John 11, she falls at Jesus' feet. Or how about in John chapter 11, where um, she has an opportunity just before he's going to soon have to face arrest and crucifixion. She takes an expensive jar of oil and pours it upon him. Who is that? It's Mary. But what does she do along with that? She, she finds herself falling at his feet. What is she doing right here? She's at his feet, which tells us something interesting about her character and her heart. And this is something that's important, not just for the women tuning in, but for all of us, all men. And I know we have two women here who play key roles as characters in this story. But I hope early on we get the point that this is not a story only for women to benefit from. Yes, it's women. And yes, it's women that could benefit from it. But I believe that there are things that these women model for us that transcend any woman, or, um, any woman that could be benefited by it a man. And so Jesus is communicating dignity. Jesus is honoring. Jesus is elevating. Jesus is esteeming women by allowing this woman, Mary, to be able to be a learner of a rabbi during this day, no matter what sort of flack and no matter what sort of backlash Jesus and his ministry may receive. I wonder what his inbox would have looked like the next morning. By Rabbi so and so from this town in, in, in this valley. I wonder what his Facebook account would have looked like as soon as somebody took a, a snapshot of this and posted it and it started going viral. Jesus invites women um, at his feet to be able to learn along with other, other men. But he was prepared to do so anyways. And so here she is. She sits at the Lord's feet and she listens to his teaching as disciples did. Now, when we say sat at his feet, it doesn't mean that she, her, her mouth is on his shoes or his sandals, okay? It, it's, um, it's, it's figurative speech, and, and it was customary for students, disciples, pupils to sit at the feet of their rabbis. In Acts, um, we're told that, that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and that's where he received his training. What it means is that that's the person that you attribute much of your learning from. And that's what we see here with with Mary. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her now then to, to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you had to say it twice to get a hold of her. You are anxious and troubled about many things. A number of things here that are significant. You see, Jesus is trying to lay priority where priority deserves to be. A lot of times we can get out of whack our priorities. I don't know about you, but this season especially could be one of those seasons where whatever may have worked for us before to manage our time or to schedule our days This could be a season where that could have easily been flipped upside down. And maybe that's you where you're trying to make sure that you keep the main thing, the main thing all over again and that Jesus doesn't get lost in the middle of all of the anxiety associated with this coronavirus and all of the fear and the paranoia and the the content that we're reading and consuming. And it could happen like it did with Martha. Now, in Martha's case, it's important to point out that there was nothing necessarily wrong about what she was doing. I don't think we can say that. The Bible says that we, work, we are God's workmanship. Amen? Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Uh, the Bible talks about being zealous, Titus 2, for good works, that we are supposed to be a people about good works. Jesus highlighted the good Samaritan story to emphasize the importance of that. But what is Jesus trying to point out? Mary managed to major on intimacy with Jesus over against service for Jesus. That's what's important. And so with all of our attempt and our effort to be about serving the Lord, we need to make sure that it falls on the heels of worship. All right? That no matter what sort of works we're about, it should never take the place of worship should never take the place of worship. The only kind of meaningful service for God or others that God counts in his book is the one that flows from worship. What's the danger? It's this. Anytime we run the risk of being tempted to try to be about service, even in the name of the Lord, for Jesus, independent of worship for Jesus, it has the tendency of turning into idolatry. And so rather than it being offered as a sacrifice to the Lord, it ends up being the Lord himself. It's a substitute, in other words. And because God is a jealous God, he doesn't want anything to take the place that only he rightfully deserves to have. And Jesus, being God, knew that. He knows the hearts of men, John 2. He doesn't need anyone to tell him. And he knew, yes, on the surface, what Martha's doing is good. She cares about me. She wants to make sure that my interest is taken into consideration. She wants to be sure that my needs are looked after. She doesn't want me to have any sort of thought that I'm being neglected or disregarded. And so maybe, but he's thinking, you know what? That could be fear though. The Bible says fear of man brings a snare." I think a lot of times we're very busy on this hamster wheel or this treadmill if you will of service. I got to be involved. I got to get plugged in. I got to get involved. I got to join this ministry department. I got to be a part of this. Otherwise people may look at me different. People may say things about me. And I don't want that to happen. I got to be in a good light. Mary perhaps Martha had a bit of that. A bit of fear that was driving a lot of her good service. And Jesus says, "Look, That's not healthy, and I don't want to aid and abet that. (laughs) I don't want to be an accomplice to that. I don't want to enable that. And so, Martha, I need you to understand. One of the things I'm going to say is, Martha, Martha, (laughs) cut it. And the other thing I want you to understand is, look, you see, Mary, she's got something going on here that I think you could benefit from. I'm pretty sure that Jesus would have said, you know what? There's going to come a time where I'm going to say, okay, now, let's let's pick up what you were doing. But it's because of what Jesus feared Martha was running on. Imagine you trying to run your car on anything but fuel. It's not going to go anywhere. And imagine you and I trying to run our spiritual lives on on anything but worship. We're not going to go anywhere. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do how much? That's right. Nothing. I can't do anything. But... Can I be honest for all of us? I don't think we believe that enough. I just don't. Yes, I know we say that. I know we quote that. I just did. But when I look at my life, when we all look at our lives, if we're really honest with ourselves, our actions and our priorities say otherwise. Our actions say Martha. Our actions are more Martha-like. Even though our confession and what we're prepared to quote is more Mary-like. And what Jesus is trying to say in this story is, it's not enough for you to have nice IG story quotes that look good with nice backgrounds and great font. I want to make sure that this is true concerning your life. I want to make sure that what I saw with Mary, I can safely say, I see with you. See, that's what's important. And because, you see, Jesus is not saying this to Martha because he hated her. I hope this encourages somebody. Jesus is saying this to Martha because he loved her. I'm convinced that this is coming from a heart of compassion, a heart of love for Martha. He's not trying to disparage Martha. He's actually trying to lift up Martha. He's not looking for an opportunity where he finally got it, where he can call out Martha. He's actually wanting to make sure that Martha is helped. I hope you hear this because there may be somebody that's tuning in. And when you look at your life, you're thinking, man, guilty as charged. (laughs) I kind of feel like I'm more Martha-like than I am Mary-like. Well, I want you to know that Jesus is is both a friend to the Marys of our community and the Marthas. Isn't that encouraging to know that Jesus is not just... Yes, he has one something to say about Mary that's unique to Mary, and he has something to say to Mary, Martha that's unique to Martha, but that in no way takes away from the fact that this same Jesus loves both of them. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful to know that there's nothing that I could do, however much Mary-like it may be, that's going to make Jesus love me any more than he already does. Did you catch that? Oh, I hope you did. Somebody's going to get that Monday. (laughs) We're just going to have to wait on you. And here's the other thing. It's the flip side of the coin. And there's nothing that you could do by way of disappointment. That's more, let's say, Martha-like that can make Jesus love you any less. I hope you get that. And that's what we need to be getting from, from from this story here. And so he says to her, you're too anxious. Notice he calls her anxious and troubled about how many things? Not just some things, many things. So what's Jesus pointing out? That be careful where your counsel comes from. (laughs) Be careful how you start instructing other Christians and how you start giving your opinions and your perspective about, what other Christians ought ought to be doing. Where the important thing is not what you're saying, but what sort of heart it's coming from. In Martha's case, it's coming from a whole lot of anxiety and restlessness and bitterness and trouble of soul. That's not the best counsel. I don't know about you, but whenever I make a counseling appointment, I don't know, whoever it is that's going to be on the other end of that table or that couch or that desk, I want to make sure that what the kind of, help that they're trying to offer me is not coming from anxiety and trouble of soul, right? I want to make sure they're healthy. Martha's not healthy. Not only is she not offering help to Mary, she herself is not in a helpful place. She herself is in trouble, right? And when we ourselves are in trouble and we try to, before addressing what's going wrong with us, try to start Helping other people, it just doesn't go well. Imagine if Mary took Martha's counsel. She wouldn't be where she is. Why is that important? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 42? But one thing is necessary. One thing. One thing. One thing have I desired that I will what? Behold the Lord in his temple, right? That I will be able to worship the Lord. Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead. I press on toward the what? The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One thing. Brothers, I don't want you to get me wrong. It's not as if I've already arrived, Paul said, verse 12, or am already perfect. But this one thing I do, this one thing what's that one thing you do? Paul said that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I've already been there, done that. If any man has confidence in the flesh, I'm more. And then he goes on, circumcised on the eighth day, a Jew concerning the tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, concerning the law blameless, concerning being a Pharisee, zealous. Nobody could touch me. I'm the goat, is what Paul is saying, right? Last days, hashtag. I'm the goat. Nobody could come close to me. But you said, you know what? When I put intimacy with Christ, hallelujah, this is coming to me right now. When I put intimacy with Jesus up against everything else I've been able to do for God, doesn't even come remotely close. Not even close. He says, forgetting what lies behind. He says, I consider everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I count them all as rubbish that I may gain him. I believe that's, Mar- if Mary had an opportunity to speak, I think she would echo Paul's sentiments. Is that where our heart is when we're serving? Is that what you want to gain out of this season of quarantine? Before we ever go back to our church buildings, before the, this shelter in place is lifted, before we get back to our, our new normal, what, what do you want to come out of this season? What do you want to gain? What sort of new you would you like to see with yourself? What sort of new version of yourself would you like to see? Is it this? Because I believe the Spirit of God is speaking. And I think He wants the church. The last thing, the last thing that we could do for the Lord is to go back to our physical gatherings the same way we were before we ever had a chance to be dealt with this god forbid my prayer is that jesus would be our priority that jesus would be our center first things first is what i'm trying to say but one thing is necessary and guess who has chosen that martha mary has chosen the good portion he calls it that good part that good portion and what is that good portion discipleship what is that good portion obedience What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Obedience. What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? It means rebellion is done. It's in my past. I'm tired of that. I want to live submitted to the Lord. I want to live in a life where there's intimacy between me and Jesus. I want to be a disciple of Christ. I want to be someone who who accepts all that God's word has to say. Jesus said in the Gospels, if you love me, huh? Keep my commandments. This is my disciple, indeed, the one who hears and does what I have to say. This is my disciple. And Jesus says here concerning Mary, she's chosen that good portion. And what's that good portion? Again, intimacy with Jesus, time with Jesus, that desire to want to be in the presence. With Jesus. What did God say in Isaiah? Be still and just know for a second that I am God. You see, because of sin and its effects in this fallen world and our fallen selves, we so lose sight of that. We so lose sight that He is God because we're not still long enough to be able to recognize that's right, (laughs) He is God and I'm not. And Mary says, look, I just, I know there's going to be time for that. I can always get back to what Martha's doing. I'm not too sure I can do this. You see, there's always time for that. Jesus said, the poor you always have with you, right? And I believe the principle to that is service and ministry and answering that phone call and running to this need and running to that demand and doing this. We're all busy. Why? Because people see that people don't see this. Everybody sees the tip of the iceberg, but they don't see the foundation of the iceberg, you see. And everybody wants to be about what eyes are on, but Jesus says it's the secret place. I was tempted to want to title this, who knows? (laughs) I may want to change it (laughs) from first things first to the secret place. I had a couple of titles in my message. Well, you're going to have to stay tuned. Well, you'll know by the time you click on this. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet. Um, you're an, an, an advantage <laughs> to, to all of us. This, but it's the secret place. We, we so lose sight of the secret place. I remember one uh, house church, a Chinese house church leader, prominent house church leader, had the chance to visit the United States and tour the country. And meet many leaders and be taken into one church after another, one ministry after another, and just observe and watch how ministry happens and where God is on the move here in the States. And the leaders of the West here in the States just could not help just before this house church leader had to make his way back to to China. They just have to ask. We got to ask you, like, please. I mean, you as a foreigner, you as an outsider, we would just so love to see like what your feedback is, what your take is on us and what you observe. Like, what's your takeaway? Like, what 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 stood out to you? He says, really? He says, yes, please tell us. <laughs> okay. If you want to know, it um, it surprises me how much people in America, churches in America, are capable of doing without God. That was hard. (laughs) He says, I was very amazed how much American churches are capable of doing without God. Like Our big buildings, our budgets, how much money we have, our land, our programs. Our, our television networks just a lot of the stuff that we do it's like it's just ingenuity it's the corporate world, the corporate model just applied that's all it is it's really hard to say that it's spirit born spirit-laden spirit driven spirit led and he says i'm just afraid i'm not too sure. I'm not sure if I'm wrong hopefully I am I hope I am but I'm afraid to say that a lot of what I was seeing could still go on, even if God were to just move away? (laughs) Ichabod. I sure hope that's not the case with my life. I sure hope that's not the case with your life. I think that's what Jesus feared. Because he loved Martha, he's, he's like, oh my goodness. You can do that without me. Jesus noticed how Martha was capable of just being busy like that, for the Lord, without the Lord. It'd be like you walking into your employer's office, who the only way you can get anything done is with his or her signature, or their stamp of approval, and you going in there and figuring out how they sign their signature, and you get their signature on all of these documents that you need to do to get stuff done. Even though they don't, they don't have any idea, there's been no meeting, no approval, didn't run it by them, but here you are busy in the name of the company, and in the name of your boss, just going about. And sometimes we could do that. We could do that. And what does Paul say in, in Colossians In chapter 3. And this is critical for all of us. He says there, Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, Martha, <laughs> whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, work heartily. So you see there, Jesus is not knocking what Martha is doing. So then what is he doing? He is pointing out the heart motivation. He's pointing out where that's stemming from. That's critical. You see, that's critical. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for who? For the Lord and not for people, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. That's important. And Jesus is saying, Look, Mary could do what you're doing, Martha. But Martha, you could never do in my book and receive a reward for it without doing what Mary does. I hope you got that. That's important. And Jesus says here, not only has Mary chosen the good portion, it's not going to be taken away from her. (laughs) Which will not be taken away from her? Ouch. You know what that tells me? There are some things that you and I could be about that can be taken away from us. So what is it that's not going to be taken away from Mary? Well, in the context, what did he just say? The good portion. What's the good portion? Go back. Sitting at Jesus' feet. What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? Intimacy with Jesus. Worship of Jesus. Being in the presence of Jesus. Opening up God's word and communing with Jesus by means of God's word. That's not going to be taken away. Discipleship. With Jesus, obedience to Jesus, that's the good portion which will not be taken away from her. A lot of us in this season, a lot of people, you know them, you've read articles about them, you saw it in the news. There have been a lot of people who've had a lot taken away from them as a result of this crisis that has hit our land. Have you noticed that? They've had their stadiums taken away from them. They've had their restaurants and their bar and grills and their happy hours taken away from them. They've had their concerts taken away from them. They've had their movie theaters taken away from them. They've they've had all sorts of stuff taken away from them. Some people have had their jobs taken away from them. Some people have had their positions taken away from them, their pay taken away from them. They've been demoted, they've had to receive decreases in pay. There are a lot of people who've experienced things that they thought were going to be around for a while, and they had no reason to believe. Going into this thing. That those kinds of things would have ever been jeopardized. Some people have had their homes. Taken away from them. But you know one thing. No matter what. COVID-19 or what crisis. Will never be taken away from you. Jesus. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. Lo I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. I am with you. Fear not. Isaiah 41.10. Neither be dismayed, for I am your God. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am with you is what God says. You see, the one thing that will never be taken away from you is your Jesus, is his presence in your life, is his Holy Spirit. It's his word hidden in your heart. It's, It's the fact that you have prioritized him. You have made the, the, the main thing, the main thing in your life. So my job may go, but my Jesus will never go. Some of the things I was enjoying in society may go, but Christ will never go. And I want you to understand that this was the one thing that was not going to go. You see, how is it that we make sure that we are less Martha-like and more Mary, like I mean, how do how do we get there? Like, what are those things that threaten it? I think it's busyness. Sometimes it's just the cares of this world, right? I mean, what did Jesus say in Mark chapter four? Jesus says concerning the parable of the the sower and the seeds in Mark in chapter four, he says there. And they, verse seventeen, have no root in themselves but endure for a while. And then he goes on in verse eighteen, others. Are the ones sown among thorns. You get that? We're going to find out what thorns are. They are those who hear the word. All right, so they have some loose relationship with Jesus. I mean, they're not walking away from Jesus, they're not abandoning him. They, they hear the word, but here's the deal here's the kicker. Verse 19. But the cares of the world, you get that? Number one. And the deceitfulness of riches. Two, and the just the, the desire for other things just have a way of entering in kind of like thorns right they have a way of entering in and what do they do choke they choke the word and what does it do it proves unfruitful in our life the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and just the desire for other things it's not even sin just the desire for other things. It's like, when are my kids' school going to open back up again? Will I be able to homeschool them? <laughs> right? this is, these are things that I'm dealing with. W- will there be enough work for them? What's going to happen over the summer break? Are they going to be occupied enough? Are my kids going to go crazy? Am I going to go crazy? <laughs> Can I get some help around here? Will my marriage fall apart as a result of this? How am I going to pay bills? how are we going to get back to life as normal? Is there a normal? Just cares, legitimate cares. But unless we're careful, even that has a way of doing what? Choking the word out of our life and rendering it unfruitful. So here we are reading the Bible. We're tuning into the live stream, but we're not doing anything about our heart in relationship to the world, right? In relationship to the world, riches. It's like, oh, I wish I was rich. I wish I had more money. I need to find out some, some Ponzi scheme, scheme, some get rich quick scheme, some self made scheme. I just need to be about minds. And there are a lot of people who are trying to run after it and, and get theirs and chase it at the expense of prioritizing Jesus in their life. And then there are those who just want to out of cares of this world. And Jesus says, Look, I'm going to end up proving unfruitful in their life. And what does Jesus say here? Mary avoided all of that by being where she needed to be. You remember what Jesus says in Revelation? This is critical. Revelation 3, I believe it's in Revelation 2, verse 2. He says says to that church there in Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. I know your endurance, verse 3. But what is he saying in verse 4? But I have this one thing against you. And what is that? That you have abandoned the love you had huh? at first. Your first love. First things first. Jesus says, look, I got all sorts of things to applaud about you to begin with. I mean, there are wonderful things, your works, just how occupied you are, how busy you are, how committed you are to truth. But all of that doesn't really mean much to me if it meant you had to abandon your first love. I don't want you to give that up, but I want to make sure that you prioritize me in your life. I'm your first love, you see? And I believe that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to Martha is that first love. Um, A time management expert a while back had shared an an illustration to leaders in the hopes of helping them uh, manage uh, better their their time. And so what he did was he took a a gallon-sized jar, (laughs) if you will, with a, a very large opening at the mouth and he took a number of, of about close to a dozen, fist-sized rocks, if you will, and he began to put them in this gallon-sized jar on a table. And after putting in uh, the rocks, he asked the viewers, the leaders who were in the breakout, is there any way you imagine that I could fit anything else in here? And they all said no. And he says, uh, actually, you're wrong. Watch this. So he he goes behind his his table and he pulls out some gravel, <laughs> believe it or not. And he takes the gravel and he begins pouring it in. So it's not the rocks, but he pours it in. And he says, uh, you notice that? And they're like, well, okay, well, I guess you can. And he shakes it up to be able to allow the gravel to to, to fit in even into more spaces. And then from there, he says, well, how about now? Do you think... There's any way that I would be able to fit anything more in. And they said, Oh, no, no, no. Not not now. <laughs> There's no way. He says, well, well, hold on now. So he he goes behind the table again and he has another prop and he comes out and he grabs a bucket of sand. Not rocks, not gravel, but sand. And then he does what he did prior. And he starts pouring it out, he starts pouring it out into this same gallon-sized jar. And they're well, <laughs> But look at here. And he begins to find ways to be able to get more into this jar. And so he again poses a question to the audience, and he asks, well, how about now? And They were hesitant to give any answer, let alone uh, a no. And so what he does is he takes a jar of water, not rocks, not gravel, not sand, but water, and he begins to pour it in there. He says, so anybody guess what the point is? And he helps them to understand when, in their case, when we keep the main thing, the main thing. We're assured of two things. Number one, what's most important actually gets done and doesn't get dropped. And that whatever else next or second or third to that, that's not wrong, but needs to get done, gets done, but not at the expense of what's our priority. You see, Jesus is the rocks, if you will. Jesus is the rock. Our intimacy with Jesus is that rock. Our time with the Lord and in his word are the rocks. And so Jesus is not knocking all of the things that we need to be about and be busy in and occupied with. But what he's saying is let's keep the main thing the main thing. I want to close um, by asking. Because I'm imagining in our audience, we have, I'm guessing we have three groups of people in our audience. Number one, we have those who are Mary, who no doubt see the importance of service and being diligent in work, but not at the expense of being at Jesus' feet. Right? Not at the expense of intimacy with Jesus. We have, we have Mary's. But I think in our audience, we also, have, um, we also have Martha's in our audience. And what I mean by that is we have those who have no problem understanding what it means to be diligent, what it means to be hard workers. We need to be serving out there. We need to be in our community doing something. Come on. How is the world going to know that the church is the church unless we're doing something? We need to be getting stuff done here. But Jesus is afraid, and I'm afraid, that all of that diligence comes at a great expense. And the expense that it comes at is losing our first love, as we saw in uh, in Revelation 2. It comes at the expense of intimacy with Jesus, keeping the main thing the main thing. But we also have a third group, I I believe, in our audience, too. And that third group is those who are neither Mary (laughs) nor Martha, right? Uh, They neither care to be about good deeds. They neither care to be about good works, nor do they care about being at Jesus' feet and learning from Him and being discipled by Him and being in His Word and, and growing in intimacy and in relationship and fellowship with Him. They don't care about either. They're not even in the house. (laughs) <laughs> these two, are, whatever may be said about the difference between these two, at least they're in the house. But this third group, is they're not even in the house, which is greatly concerned because there's hope, at least if you're in the house. And so my prayer for you is what Jesus' prayer is for all of us. You see, Jesus, I believe, is offering hope to every single one of us. That no matter where you find yourself, that it's not about either or. The answer is yes, it's both and. But the way to go forward in service to others for God should never come at the expense of our worship of God. Amen? And so I want to close right here, and I want to pray not only with, uh, for you, but I want to play t- pray together with you and believe together with you that that God will help us. No matter wh- which one of those three groups that we find ourselves in, um, God will help us be, if we're Mary's, Praise, let's praise God and give Him the glory, because that would have only happened were, were for His grace. And we can be examples and models for those who may be Marthas or not even in the house. If we're Marthas, there's hope of being a Mary. And if we're not even in the house at all, Jesus says, I stand at the door, whether you invited me like Martha or not. Or maybe you are in the house, but you won't let Jesus in. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will come and open the door, I will what? Sup. I will fellowship. I will dine, which in that day and age was a picture of fellowship. That's why this was so critical, right? I will fellowship with him. You see, Martha picked a great ancient Jewish practice and custom, but she lost the value of it. Why? Because Jesus wasn't at the center of that hospitality. All right. Jesus wants to be at the center of our hospitality. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you desperate for more of you. We recognize that we are leaky buckets. And even if we may f- think we're full, there's only a matter of time where we find ourselves emptying out. And I just pray right now, Lord God, fill my cup, Lord. God, I just pray, Lord, that you help us to never stray from our first love. Lord, I ask, rescue those who've wandered from you being their priority. Help us, Lord God, to be able, if we're going to serve, to slur from, our, from the overflow of who we are in you and who we know you are for us. God, I pray that we never serve from an empty place. God, I ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill us with both your presence and your power. God, I pray that your word come alive all over again, that it not be dead to us, that we not be indifferent toward you and your presence in our life. Lord, help us to be rejuvenated all over again. May this be a time of refreshing. May this be a season where we awake, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, awake you who sleep and arise, and Christ shall give you life and give you light. Lord, I'm praying for that right now. If there's anyone sleeping in their Christian life, awaken them because you love them and help them, Lord God, to enjoy true fellowship and true intimacy with you, I pray. And those who are not even in the house to begin with, they could care less about serving you and your people, or even being intimate with you. Oh, Lord, I pray. Help them, Lord God. May they, be, may they be grieved and disturbed by the simple fact that they're not disturbed by that reality that that communicates their present state. Lord, if they're going to be bothered about anything, help them to be bothered by the fact that they're, they're not even bothered by that. That that's not a... a a sign of, of to be happy about. That's not something to be thankful for. That's not something to applaud. Lord, bring them near your presence, I pray. God, we thank you for this time in your Word as we go our separate ways. Would you continue to be with us and help us to know how to cultivate real intimacy and real meaningful time with you and your Word, in your presence, not just one time and then that's, that's done, but all throughout the day and all throughout our weeks as we go about serving you and your people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.